What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. I am thrilled to be here today with my longtime friend, Jennifer Racciopi. Jennifer is a certified Duke Integrative Medicine. That is a harder word to say than I thought. You could just health say coach. A Duke <laughs> Integrative Health Coach, yes. Inte- integrative. It's so funny. I read all the time. I never say this out loud, but I'm keeping it. It's staying. She's a holistic health counselor, positive psychology coach, and an astrologer. In fact, we first met when I was launching my previous previous to pivot, pivot from life after college to JennyBlake.me. And Jennifer reached out. She said, I don't know you, but I think we should know each other. Can I read your chart? And that kicked off my love of astrology. I learned just about everything I know from Jennifer. And now I am just so absolutely thrilled to be celebrating her very first book. She's a prolific writer and blogger. But this book is called Cosmic Health, Unlock your healing magic with astrology, positive psychology, and integrative wellness. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, a pleasure, and a joy. Always, always. What I love about you is just, you embody so much of what you teach. And wow, I, I think if you're listening to this and you haven't gone down the astrology rabbit hole, it is just this endless font of of wisdom and self-understanding and keys to what you've described as the blueprint of our soul, you know, and, and what I learned from you of just that the moment we take our first breath, we can learn about this blueprint from where the planets are in the sky. And I love how you're combining your own history and your passion for topics like resilience and cyclical living with this notion of health and healing in this new book. So congratulations, Jen, on such a masterpiece. Oh my God. Thank you so much. You, one of the principles of cosmic health, one of the five core principles is living cyclically. And in fact, you did a business workshop for us in Momentum a couple of years ago on how to run our business, even according to moon cycles. Why do you think it is that our society has so, has veered so far from this cyclical living, this ebb and flow, working according to the sun and the moon and the cycles of the moon? I mean, it's a loaded question, right? Um, <laughs> like the patriarchy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we just cut right to it. it. <laughs> basically, uh, cis-hetero patriarchy slash capitalism. I don't know. I mean, I think that productivity is seen as very linear. And I was even just on a coaching call with a client this morning and you know, I was encouraging her to be in the dream of where she wants to go next. And she was really caught up on the practicalities of making, you know, that dream happen, like even dreaming practically. And the exercise was, well, what if, what if there's just a dream first? Like, what if we're not even in the practicalities yet? And I think that there's a place for both. As you know, a lot of my philosophy roots back to a concept I coined as lunar logic, which is we want both, right? We want 
strategy and intuition. We want a work ethic and cyclicality to how we structure our lives. And I think that life has just become deeply binary. It's like either or, either we are going for a goal in a very assertive way, or we're not going for a goal at all. And cyclicality, rhythmicity, these concepts that are underlying every concept of what I teach, but certainly um, Cosmic Health, the book, is embracing the and. It's just saying like, hey, we can be assertive, goal-oriented, go-getters, and understand that we're working with a rhythm um, as opposed to just our brute willpower alone. Um, And I think that that's holding a level of trust and complexity in a way that linear thinking um, doesn't necessarily allow for. Uh, And we cling to linearity because we think, or at least the myth has been, grit at all costs. And I'm a huge, huge, huge lover of the concept of grit. And I think that it's a, it's a character strength we can all develop even more. It's just to say that we, yeah, there's an ebb and a flow. And when we can work with the rhythms, we can harmonize with them as, as opposed to try to override them or command them in a way that is frankly, in my opinion, quite arrogant. (laughs) I love that. I know, and and you kind of talk in the book too, that as technology has advanced and we have electricity and we have lights and we have computers, it's it's also easier to sort of cheat the system. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy when I read a book like yours or step back, to me, it's so intuitive. I mean, you don't have to tell me, I go to bed at 8 p.m. Sometimes sometimes I'm in bed at 7.30 in the winter. It's already dark out. There's no point in me just binge watching five more shows. And so I love, I love sleeping very early. I love kind of sleeping with the cycles of the sun, Mm -hmm. but it's so easy to cheat the system and sort of override it. And we feed screens into our mind and we we think, oh, well, just turn the lights on if the sun goes down. And, um, and then when we look at nature, it's like, hello, even living in New York, having grown up in California, nature has seasons. There are times when the trees are full of leaves and they're green. (laughs) And there are times like, at the time of this recording where I don't see any leaves on the tree in front of me, the branches are barren. And yet it seems like in our creative cycles in our career, we treat it as this emergency or something is just terribly wrong when we go into these cycles of retreat. When in fact, the world around us, the natural world is so brilliant in and of itself with these systems and cycles. Yeah. I mean, and, and what I love about the emerging research in chronobiology, and even it's not even emerging, it's been around for some time, is that we have rhythms inside of our body that correspond with these rhythms and cycles of season and day and light. And as a matter of fact, that's what astrology really at its core tracks. And so, you know, we have our circadian rhythm, which is endogenous. You know, we have a clock inside of our body that functions um, rhythmically and it works best when in sync with the cycles of the sun naturally. But even if you aren't in sync with the cycles of the sun naturally, for instance, if you live in an extremely Northern or Southern area of the world where there's even more extremes light and of light and dark. Naturally, of course, you're still going to have to do things during the day, even if you live in a place where there's zero sunlight. Or if you're a shift worker, you work at night, you're still going to, your, your clock adjusts 
to you, you know, like you, it's, it's endogenous, it's in your body. It does its thing, whether or not it's syncing with the natural cycles of the sun, regardless. And so we know that we have an endogenous circadian rhythm that's innate to who we are. And it works best when it's aligned with the cycles of natural light and dark, but even in absence of that alignment, it's still a circadian clock. Like it's still doing its thing. And we have a circa annual rhythm as well, which is a seasonal rhythm. And that is, it mirrors the seasons of the earth, but it's also just, uh, almost innate to how we've evolved. And we have a circa lunar rhythm as well, or a circa monthly rhythm, which is not concretely proven in humans in the ways that it is in animals. And certainly we have no idea if it's endogenous. There's a lot of arguments that it is and arguments that it's not. But when we look to uh, marine life, for example, or plant life and vegetation, those cycles are so documented as having a deep correspondence to lunar rhythms and monthly rhythms. And I know from having done this work 20 years on my own and for the last 10, 12, however long it's been years with my clients that when we start to tune into the circa, circa monthly circa lunar rhythm, we realize like, wow, we are, we can entrain ourselves to this. And certainly women have the menstrual cycle as a fundamental part of their biology as well. But I just think it's interesting that these are the rhythms that our, our natural world is dictated by. And we have a biological phenomenon that mirrors them. And yet uh, somewhere along the line, and I don't, my history is a little off, but it became much more advanced for humans to think of themselves as above nature or not so, you know, like we're not animals, we're humans, or, you know, and that we have all these capacities beyond other animals and natural life. But the bottom line is, is that we're, we developed, we evolved under moonlight, we evolved under sunlight, we evolved with seasons. And uh, we are, we are those those same exact phenomenons happen biologically, or we have a biological corollary to them in a way that's fascinating, right? And it's also a little bit primitive to think of it in that way. And I think we're just at this interesting point in our evolution where we need to renature ourselves to survive and we need to renature ourselves to live in harmony with our planet. And fundamental to that is reclamation of these rhythms that drive our lives whether we realize it or not. I love that. Renaturing is such a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Renature, reclaim. Yes. Mm-hmm. What I one thing I love in the book, so you talk about the cosmic curriculum that each of us has. And you also say, so of course, embracing the paradox of both and and not this linear thinking. Mm-hmm. You say, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason nor do I believe that we manifest illness. And I, I thought it was kind of a relief to hear you say that. Just, it, I love, there was this one part of the book, you said, to be clear, we can be spiritually positive and grieve at the same time. We can feel multiple emotional states at once. And I don't believe everything happens for a reason. And I think sometimes you and I both know, well, one thing I always appreciate is how grounded you are. But we both know there's a lot of talk in the spiritual and personal development sphere of, well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for you, not to you. And I'd love to hear how you navigate that 
that dance of mindset when when working through your own cosmic curriculum of you can't necessarily choose what happens to you, but you can try to find the good and the grit, even without adopting this belief, oh, everything happens for a reason. And maybe even what you think is problematic about that in the first place. Well, I mean, let's start there. What is problematic about that? Everything, I mean, if we jump to everything happens for a reason, how do we ever grapple with tragedy? And we live in increasingly tragic times and um, tragedy is a part of human existence. And, you know, to settle into the humility of tragedy requires not having a solution for it immediately. Um, and I think, like, you know, the problem is, is that we always want to have the solution. We don't want to have the, pr- we don't want to have the problem is we don't want to have the problem, you know, and there's dignity and struggle so long as we're dignified in our struggle. And I think that spiritual bypassing and, and reframing too quickly and, or letting someone else spiritual bypass for us and, and reclaiming, I mean, um, reframing for us is, it, it, it takes the dignity out of, our human experiences, our existential crises and our becoming, you know, like I think that we learning how to be with and move through pain and become who we're becoming in the face of pain is way more powerful than having a solution that allows us to avoid pain when, or pretend like pain doesn't exist when we're smack dab in the middle of it. And so, you know, I do think that we can hold multiple realities as true at the same time and, and, and not one needs to be wrong for the other to be right. For example, you know, we're living through a time that is just full of so much pain and so much loss and so much tragedy and yet so much hope and, uh, and dare I say it, even abundance and in amid it all. And, you know, things like, how can I, how can I be, is being sad, me not being grateful, right? I've had a couple of clients say that to me this week. They're like, it feel, letting myself feel sad makes me feel like I'm not grateful or I'm not being grateful. And I have so much to be grateful for. I have running water, I have food, I, you know, I have some version of abundance, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, well, can you be sad and still deeply appreciative at the same time, you know, like, can you even appreciate your sadness? Like, can you even like, like it's nuanced. It's not either, or, and I just see my clients struggle with that a lot, not just in a time of like a global pandemic and the um, amazing tragedies that we're living through right now. Um, And I don't mean amazing and positive. I just mean like, wow, life is way more nuanced and complicated than binary either or thinking allows. And when we dial it back to our cosmic curriculum, so our cosmic curriculum is basically our natal promise. It's what we were born into. It's the it's the puzzle that we're going to live through this lifetime. It's the strengths, it's the challenges, it's the faded periods of transformation in our chart. It's 
it's the the curriculum we're going to live through through a cosmic lens told through the story of astrology. And even there, we have a tremendous amount of choice with how we dance with that curriculum. Like our curriculum doesn't dictate who we are. It, it's a it's a setup for who we could potentially become. I think having a lot of humility in the face of that is a really great thing to develop as well as a tremendous amount of self-awareness, which is another thing that astrology really allows us to have is a deep sense of self-awareness. And when we can pull all that together and do this dance between fate and destiny or do this dance between, okay, here's the curriculum, here's the puzzle I'm, I'm living through, right? Here, here's the, the potential masterpiece I can become. And here's my very real human experience in the moment. We're choosing both. We're choosing to be present in the here and now exactly as it is and putting it in a context that frames it for us so we understand a deeper sense of of who we are and what it means and and who we could potentially become. I, I, I feel deeply that holding space for the and is really important and resilience is just that, the ability to be in life exactly as it is right now, right? Without needing it to be anything other than it is and still taking steps to make it better or pulling from a strength within that's like, okay, I have faith, I have trust, here are my resources and 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 I'm going to be able to be with this in a way where I'm not giving up, I'm not resi- resigned to it. I'm not the victim of it necessarily. And it's here to animate the full range of my capacity in this moment. Yeah, I said a lot there. So I'm curious what what comes up. So much good stuff. I mean, so many important things there. And the I love what you said about the resilience is in accepting things as they are exactly as they are. And we can still you say in the book, I do believe we can find a reason for everything that happens as in our human quality is to say, hold that both and to say, I'm experiencing pain and suffering and even hold that kindly and even still look for the growth and transformation and what's emerging because otherwise we get stuck. And you and I both know this and then that stuckness shows up in the body and this is your complete expertise, but where we don't want to become rigid and stuck. And so much of what you're talking about here is how to listen to ourselves. And I have to say, that's something I really appreciate about astrology. The, the permission it gives, you know, there's one chapter on the rising sign where you say, own your awesome, our mighty yet often overlooked superpowers. And what I find about astrology is it opens up such deep, rich conversations, often with another person who is the astrologer doing the reading that for me have given me permission to own my superpowers, but also my wounds, things I didn't see, things I was unaware of, and also sort of embracing what had been difficult. And I think the readings I've done with you and with others have really helped me accept that certain things have felt really hard or harder. And some people who are complete skeptics of astrology, that's fine. You can be totally skeptical. And still, if someone tells you, and hits the nail on the head of something that you've struggled with your whole life, there is still this powerful aha moment of, yes, that is how I feel. That is this thing I'm struggling with. And finding those 
paths through and around those things. That's what I find. There's just such a sense of permission that comes from this level of self-awareness and analysis and acceptance. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the thing is, is that everything doesn't happen for a reason, but as you said, like we give things reason, right? We're the meaning makers. We're the ones who are drawing conclusions for ourselves. And those are the most powerful conclusions we can draw. And astrology also functions as a mirror where we can see ourselves in a more objective sense, either through our own interpretation of our chart or through someone else's interpretation of aspects in our chart. And that mirror is a part of our drawing our own meaning and, and understand coming to some conclusion if, if conclusion is readily available in that moment, or at least, con- you know, defining the boundaries of which we're traveling along. So we know the edges a little bit better. Um, and, you know, astrology isn't a belief system. It's not something you need to believe in. It's not a religion. There's no um, award at the end of the life or like following the astro- astrological doctrine. It's not, it's literally not a belief system. So skeptics, I invite their skepticism. Be, be, if you're a skeptic, be skeptical. It's not, sometimes I'm skeptical, you know, actually I've brought a ton of skepticism into my astrological pursuits, more skepticism than I think I've ever really even spoken to publicly because I'm like, how could, is that really, you know, but that's what is, uh, it's that curiosity that, and that sense of exploration that took me so far and so deep down this rabbit hole, rabbit hole I'll forever be going down, at least till my last breath in this iteration of my existence. But, you know, I, I think that a healthy sense of skepticism is really Im- important. Um, and astrology isn't a belief system. It's a tool. And much like we don't believe in electricity, like I don't, I, you know, like if someone broke down all the ways that you and I were connecting via technology right now to have this call being recorded and then syndicated on all the platforms, if someone just laid that out to me, I'm like, I, I don't know if I, if I'd get it, you know, like how that could happen or if I'd even believe that that could happen if I didn't experience it in real time, you know, in this modern age of doing this all the time, I don't know if I'd believe that that was possible. It sounds almost unbelievable to me, but I just get on zoom and I turn it on, you know, or like, we just like have the the meeting and we do the thing and, or we record the podcast and we send it out. Um, we don't, cause not because we believe in it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I believe, believe in, in you, Zoom. Zoom. I believe, believe in, in your podcast you. platform. You know, I believe in you, Spotify, <laughs> that you could have every single album yes. in the world ever recorded on the, you know, the touch of my <laughs> fingers on my phone. I don't believe in that. That's unbelievable, right? But I use it every damn day. And I think that astrology is a tool we can use. Um, and I will say my sense of skepticism as an astrologer has um definitely work to my advantage. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love the invitation here. And the thing is, whether we know how Zoom works or not, we're here and it's working. There is a real transformation, a real conversation that's happening. So period, end of story, it's happening. This is why I love talking about and thinking about the placebo effect, which I really love. I really love that if you and I can have a conversation when something shifts and there's writer seconding in the background, that it's as real as anything. So if you and I sit and talk about my 
astrology chart or with one of your clients as we've done and aha moments happen and insights and inspiration and healing and permission, something real just happened. It's, Mm -hmm. you don't always need all the proof of it. I mean, I I love the skeptics out there too, (laughs) a hundred percent. You also talk about, so, okay. I learned about Chiron from you, the wounded healer. And just the name alone, I think is such a powerful concept. Mm -hmm. And I do Mm -hmm. think that a lot of people who are drawn to coaching, counseling, probably even thinking and sharing in the way that we're doing now, have this have have wounded healer energy, although I wonder if you think every person on the planet, I mean, of course, everyone will have a Chiron placement in their chart. But talk to us about the wounded healer and why your wound is your wisdom. You know, that Chiron chapter is my favorite chapter in the book, Chiron into Uranus, like that segue and that connection between the two of them was one of those moments in the book where I just got like so lit up, like writing a book is this sounds really good at the beginning. It's really exciting when you realize it's going to happen. Right. And then there's this over, at least for me, I don't know if this is true for you, Jenny, or for other authors, but for me, then there was this like overwhelming sense of what the hell am I doing? So much work and so much research and so much inner critic and, you know, just like this, all my, all my everything came up. Right. But then I got to these points in the book where I was like, this is why I'm writing the book. You know, like it's, it all just makes sense. And Chiron was one of those turning points for me in that, I'm just like, this is, this is it. Like, this is it for me. So for those of you um, who are just hearing about Chiron or like why your wound is your wisdom, et cetera, to back it up a little bit, Chiron is a, a both a um, mythological uh, story and, and, and character and myth, as well as a, it's a comet asteroid hybrid that has been classified as a centaur because centaur as Chiron was in his mythology is half man, half, half horse. So it's this characterization of being two different species blended as one. And Chiron travels between uh, Saturn and Uranus in this very like erratic pattern and he bridges the social consciousness planets, which if we were to talk about Saturn and Jupiter, they represent uh, social consciousness. Saturn is our purpose, our discipline, and oftentimes in astrology, our, you know, Achilles heel. It's that thing that's like, uh, will I ever be good enough? Or will I ever have enough? Or will I ever whatever? And then Uranus is our freedom. It's our liberation. Uh, it can be disruption, of course, um, as you'll read in the book. It's It has many, many, many ways it presents itself, but ultimately it's the point of liberation. And it's important to say that ancient astrology stopped at Saturn. Like they didn't know that there was anything else beyond that. And so here we are with Chiron, this interesting non-planet, hard to define celestial body, and then we look at the fact that astronomers named him Chiron and Chiron mythologically is this fascinating story of this creature that was born half man, half horse from a mother who was seduced and, or, you know, even sexually assaulted 
by the character or the myth, the mythological figure that was Kronos or Saturn, who um, shapeshifted his identity to have this rendezvous with Chiron's mom, which then impregnated her. And so Saturn was a, a god. He had immortality and Chiron's mother did not. And Chiron was born half man, half horse, and his father wasn't going to take any responsibility for this because he shouldn't have been impregnating this woman, and that was scandal. And she was so shocked when she gave birth to a centaur that she abandoned him because, first of all, it wasn't her choice to get involved um, with with Saturn in this way, which was obviously a very painful experience for any woman who... uh, you know, has had that experience. And, and then she further had a child that was a centaur. So centaurs were vulgar and lawless and wild and, and, and a rejected part of, of the society in many ways. And Chiron was born and then abandoned. Uh, So he was abandoned by his mother, unclaimed by his father, had his father's immortality and his mother's mortality, but, you know, immortality trumps mortality. So he was immortal. And, uh, you know, so he was born with this pain of having this multifaceted identity, this, you know, half man, half horse thing, rejection and abandonment by his parents, the outcast status of being a centaur. And yet he was, um, uh, he, taken in right by Apollo. I believe it was Apollo um, and, and fathered and nurtured and went on to become the greatest healer of all the land. And so um, he schooled young princes and he had this amazing healing capacity to help, you know, integration around wounds and, and elicit deeper wisdom within. He was an astrologer unto himself. I mean, he has this fascinating story around how he became this incredibly gifted centaur that just stood out amongst everyone, especially all the other centaurs. And um, it was from this sense of being rejected and othered and and sort of lost that he was found and then found his greatest gifts within. So we could just stop right there. That's a story unto itself. But later in life, he, and my memory's a little fuzzy on who all the characters were, but he was struck by an arrow that was poisoned accidentally by one of his friends. The wound went to his knee. Because he was immortal, he couldn't die. And he would have if he was mortal, right? Like if he just wasn't half immortal, he, this wound would have been so bad. It would have probably ended his life in some way, but he couldn't die. And he had this pain that he himself as the best healer in all the land couldn't heal and nor could he be relieved of living with this pain through death. And so that animated an even more tremendous spectrum of his healing capacity because it gave him greater empathy for the humility of his own condition, that he was the greatest in all the land, but couldn't do it for himself and had to live with this pain that gave him a gateway into understanding the pain of others and certainly the pain of others who came to him for healing. So it really just expanded his capacity. And I think that that's so fascinating because when we're talking about 
healing and in the wellness world, there's always this end goal of resolution of like, I'm going to, you know, I mean, I, I have clients who've been working on this story around who they are and what they want to heal for like their whole life. And what if they're never going to heal it? You know, like what if that wounding or that pain that you endured at one point in your life, the, the resolution of the pain isn't the end goal, but the ability to um, have compassion for that pain, to accept that pain, to adapt to that pain, and then let that understanding animate a whole new expression of who you are, particularly in relationship to others and particularly in a way that you can actually bring the wisdom that you've gained through that struggle out and into the world in a way that's healing, kind, compassionate for others, right? Like then is that wound without purpose? No, because the wound is the pathway to your own becoming. And yet that's that's sort of dicey in our solution-oriented, linear, living sort of way because like who wants to learn to live with pain? We want to, you know, take a painkiller to get rid of pain, see the surgeon to get rid of the problem, get the divorce to like, you know what I mean? Move on and tie it up in a, whatever it is. And I'm by no means not suggesting doing any of those things to certainly, you know, do all those things. It's just to say if, and then what, right? And then what? The experience of having lived through that is often so magnificent that uh, we'll be integrating it for the rest of our lives in one way, shape, or form. And so what if we could use that that pain or that that opportunity to step into a more, I don't want to say more, but like a deeper communion with our own humanity and understand humanity through a whole new lens. And I think that that's, you know, that's what Chiron teaches is like some wounds don't go away, It's but we can learn how to become uh, mythological in our own life, right? Have mythological powers in our own existence. What I love about you bringing in this mythological story, mythological stories are often gruesome. I mean, they're crazy, you know, they're wild. They're, when we, when we talk about owning our superpowers, I think it's easy to default to these like idyllic superheroes. And yet a lot of superhero myths and a lot of Greek mythology is mixed is is it does involve tragedy it does involve hardship it does involve pain and the wh- what you're describing also reminds me about the shift in how in grief research and how people talk about grief that instead of thinking like you just tick these boxes i don't even think elizabeth kubler ross would say it's a linear process but we uh, interpret it that way first i'm going to move through this then this then this and then i'll be done and the way a friend once put it to me is that if you, let's say you have the tragedy of losing a child, well, it might be 20 years later at your other child's wedding that you think I should have been, you know, grief can show up for the rest of your life. It's not necessarily going to go away. It becomes this, this superpower of empathy. If nothing else, it's like we get a window into this frame of human suffering so that we can be there for others and understand others going through it in a way that that many people can't without that firsthand experience. It's certainly an animation point or a lever, right? For compassion for others. And I think even more concretely compassion for ourselves, like this idea that uh, 
we are just as human and vulnerable as anybody else. And self-effacing gravity of understanding that is a gateway into all of our peace, right? Because when we're, when we think like, oh, I'm exceptional in a way where if I lost a child, I do the work, I get through the process, you know what I mean? Or like, I'm, I'm somehow the exception so long as I use my work ethic or so long as I spend the money and do the right thing or go to do the right chant or go on the right retreat or like whatever, I'm exceptional. And I think that we're all exceptional. We're all awesome in our own way. And we're all friggin' human. And, and therefore none of us get to avoid the vulnerabilities of our human condition. So I think compassion for ourselves is, is so, so deeply important. And also, um, Seeing these things as entry points into a more rich understanding of love. So just coming back to the concept of grief, grief is really love and love at its loudest decibel. It's love at its greatest volume, right? So that's what grief is. It's like, I've lost something I've loved so deeply that now I love, my love is pain or I'm grieving this opportunity that I lost because I wanted that so badly because I would loved where it could have led me. Right. But grief is love and compassion is love. Magic, the ability to make miracles in our own life, to open doors that wouldn't have been opened otherwise, our own healing, that's love. So we're just talking about love, right? We're talking about eros. We're talking about love. We're talking about the most fundamental emotion that we have as humans. And when we put that in the context of mythology being tragic and these stories of like, whoa, that's grueling and crazy. Um, it, you know, it's there, it is because love is somehow involved, right? Like it all comes back to love and, we can't wait for everything to be perfect to love. And we can't wait for ourselves to be perfect to love ourselves. And if we can, like coming back to the definition of resilience, meet life exactly as it is and, and make it better. You know, the making it better is love. The meeting it exactly as it is, is love. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, (laughs) I think myths are just like a different way of understanding dynamics but ultimately through the lens of love, as is healing. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. It's gorgeous. I love everything you said. Grief is love at its loudest decibel. And magic, the ability to make miracles in our own life, that's love. Uh, Love, Jennifer's expression of love is live in the world. Your book, Cosmic Health, Unlock Your Healing Magic with Astrology, Positive Psychology, and Integrative Wellness. Jen, congratulations again on this book. Where can people find you in addition to getting a copy if they want to keep in touch? Thank you so much for having me here. I have a website, jenniferrassiope.com. I party on Instagram most days, most days two times, though some days not at all. And uh, I have a blog at my website. Um, I am on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter's more where I go to just rant about things on my mind. But I'm out there. I'm, I'm on. I'm on all the socials. So thank you so much for having me. Amazing! What a delight. I will put all those links in the show notes. And Jen, congrats again. Yes, I've had all those gremlins 
all the questions, what the hell am I doing with the book? So it's just, as my brother told me when my first book was coming out, as soon as someone buys one copy, you are an author and you have been a success. So I hereby <laughs> pass that on to you. <laughs> Thank you. Congrats again. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List, a curated twice monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast and connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always 